weekend. So crazy environment. We all were giving thanks this weekend, and then we came back to uh, a new variant that's creating a lot of uh, unusual cross currents and on top of an already messy global economy. And, uh, you know, a few weeks ago, the focus was all on inflation and the pandemic. We even talked about on this call, Mark, that we hadn't had a lot of uh, discussions about the pandemic. We're talking more about uh, the reopening, the inflation issues and other issues, supply chain issues, but not as much about the, the variant because things seem to be getting back to normal. And then we had this latest version, which quite frankly, we don't know much about. So, uh, if we react too much to it, um, to the uncertainty around it, it's maybe the wrong thing from an investment perspective. So what we, what we're advising people is, you know, take a step back, make sense of, uh, of what's really going on and try and understand it before we react. And, uh, you know, we had a big reaction the other day on Friday, a partial rebound yesterday and kind of mixed markets today and, uh, you know, even Powell, uh, to his comments of, you know, drop transitory and go back to we're, we're in an inflation mode now. I'm not sure how much of that is really what he believes or what he's messaging the market because they might taper a little sooner, which I as we get to a little bit later, I don't think really matters. But, you know, let's just take a look at the economy and see where we are and what's driving it. So, you know, big rebound in U.S. GDP and global GDP is Back up at uh, record levels at $94 trillion, growing about, you know, 5% this year, maybe a little less, um, but very strong uh, bounce in the market um, and, and in, in the economic activity. I think there are four major things that are driving the GDP growth that we've seen this time. Um, you know, the first is federal outlays. And if you go back to 2010, we were uh, looking at, you know, Adding 800 billion in spending, uh, took a lot of fight to get through coming out of, uh, the financial crisis in 08, but we brought our balance sheet up to about, I'm sorry, we brought the spend up to about three and a half trillion. If you look at what happened last year, we spent, um, about three trillion dollars more, bringing federal outlays up to about seven trillion dollars now. So that's obviously a big shot in the arm for the economy. You look at short rates, and this is global short rates, but whether you look at global or the U.S., which is in blue, you see that um, short rates overall are down. I think if you looked at the global short rate index, it would have been around 1.6 coming into this uh, period at last year. Now it's back down to it dropped as low as um, 0.3. So you see big changes in the interest rate structure, which is also driving a lot of it. But then you also have the Fed's balance sheet, and this is can be shown for Europe and uh, most of the rest of the developed world, where the Fed balance sheet for this period grew considerably. And just to put it in perspective for you, um, we doubled in, in 08 to 2010, but that was off of, you know, a much lower base around a trillion dollars. If you fast forward to uh, last year, we were up um, about uh, – a couple trillion dollars, uh, four trillion dollars last year. Um, so we're now closing in on nine trillion. So big changes in the, in the, uh, balance sheet of the Fed. Money supply growth was up a lot year over year. It was only up about 10% in, uh, 08 to, in, uh, 08 to 2010. So a big change there. All this money, all this support, all this stimulus is driven 
uh, record corporate profits. And you can see how corporate profits have moved up. This is um, after tax with uh, inventory valuation adjustments. So um, you can just see a very positive picture there. So so with the variance in valuations, what should investors do now? And clearly, this is the big question that people are going to be asking. Um, one of the elements that is coming out of this is, uh, as Susan was pointing out before, as you start to lock down or cut off travel, you're going to slow the global economy on top of an economy which the second largest economy is forcing a slowdown with China trying to manage their growth expectations, which to us is leading to a strengthening dollar. It's going to lower commodity prices. It's going to put more strain on uh, emerging market economies, particularly those with high emerging market debts which is going to continue to make the U.S. an attractive destination for capital, which is going to continue to force our rates down and strengthen the dollar. So I think this has some issues, but I wouldn't overreact to what happens in the near term because you can get whipsawed by uh, by science. For example, uh, this could be a more um, contagious variant, but it could be lower in health impacts. So we're not sure yet, and they don't know. They're, they're speculating right now, even at the uh, two major uh, pharma companies that are involved, Moderna and Pfizer, are not quite clear whether this is going to be worse or uh, less bad. So that's something we have to keep in mind. Um, so what will drive security valuations is really the issue. And for us, it's always been the outlook for earnings, interest rates, and inflation. And we think that earnings and interest rates have a positive outlook. It's mixed for inflation with near-term skewing to the upside. But this is generally a positive backdrop for equity investing. I'll give you a couple examples why. Here's the inflation picture going back to the 60s. And uh, we've had a prolonged period since the 80s where we've been uh, below 5% or right around 5%, but really averaging in the 2.5% range level. Not exactly a big concern if we get, if we're back up at 2.5%, 3% levels for uh, an extended period. That is actually what the Fed's talking about when they want to run a little bit higher to get the average uh, back up. I don't know if that's a good policy right now or not, but it is their policy, and I don't think they're going to move away from it too quickly. Neither is the ECB. Um, this is inflation in advanced economies, and uh, you can see it's uh, clearly at an elevated level compared to historic norms going back to 05. But the emerging economies are also at – uh, slightly lower levels overall than what they've been, but this is not a good picture. It's uh, You're starting to see inflation pick up in a lot of those countries, particularly the energy importers, uh, and that's going to be, a, I think, a challenge for them. But the other thing is to keep in mind, what does the Treasury look like when you index in, uh, when you index it for inflation? And, you know, we're running negative rates here. We're running significantly negative rates in Germany. I think their 10-year is at a minus, like, 0.3 right now. Um, so you add on to it a couple percent of inflation and they're, you know, really significantly negative, uh, uh, yields environment for them. Um, but we are seeing corporate earnings setting records. We are seeing, uh, and our belief that this will be, uh, carried through is a lot of those earnings are going to be put towards, uh, CapEx and that CapEx is going to be, uh, designed to, deal with two issues. One is, uh, in some countries, a lack of immigrants uh, coming in, either culturally or, or um, policy-wise, that they're going to need to put more emphasis to deal with their declining demographic issues. 
and substituting capital for labor we think is going to accelerate, not slow down during this process. Um, so that's one element. The other is they're looking at the long-term demographic patterns and su- suggesting that um, they're going to need to spend more to lower their cost and also to deal with the uh, lower supply of labor that's going to be available to them. So it's going to accelerate their uh, CapEx spend, which we think is going to be a positive for productivity, also for lowering inflation. So I get while he's while Powell's trying to back away from the transitory view um, because he is setting people up for a switch. And that switch is going to be that they will start tapering likely sooner than they had planned. Um, but I don't think that's going to be as big an issue as uh, the market will react initially. I think they'll come around to the fact that it's fine that they're doing that. I'll give you a why in a minute. So what should investors do now? I think you, we need to prepare for a lot of volatility over the next couple of weeks. We're going to get some answers to how this variant is playing out. Is it a worse health problem or is it kind of a beginning of the end of of, of the pandemic that we move to an endemic um, to be de- to be determined. I also think you have the debt ceiling issue that's coming up that we're going to have to uh, address in Washington. And then you have the Build Back Better program. And does this get delayed because of that? Um, quite possible because we might not be seeing this, dealing with the same problems. We would say stay long equities, both public and private, but avoid the extremes in valuation, both the um, lowest value and the highest value, because we think the low ones have earned it. We think the high ones are going to have trouble uh, maintaining unless they have exceptional growth rates. Um, so being more selective is going to matter uh, more now. I think everyone has to review their portfolio thesis and think what themes they're playing and, and will the thesis that they've been playing still hold in 2022. For us at ARS, it's very hard for us to play the whipsaw nature of the market. So we look to go beyond what the market's views are and play the secular themes. And we think that's the best uh, approach for this environment, because, uh, as Greg was saying, so much of what's going on is macro uh, today. Um, we think it's very hard to time this market. Ray Dalio did a great job of of discussing that this morning on CNBC. <laughs> um I think you're going to have to really focus on the countries, the sectors, and the industries that are going to win in 2022 and beyond, and not try and pick this reopen versus uh, lockdown versus reopen kind of back and forth that we've been going up, going through. I think asset allocation is going to be really interesting because we are at a point now where you have new things to allocate to this year that have become um, real asset allocation opportunities with uh, Bitcoin and uh, other uh, other new tools, but I think country selection and sector selection and industries are going to matter uh, a lot next year, much more so than in most environments, because I think we are moving to a much more bifurcated global economy. I think when it comes to asset allocation, you want to still err towards the side of, uh, of favoring uh, uh, assets and equity assets that are going to that are going to grow as well as some alternative assets. And I think one of the big things to keep in mind, and this is what I think people get wrong, is if we start to um, taper an accelerated basis, it will let's start. So if we stuck with the same program that they're talking about, which is starting this, the tapering and uh, bring it down 15 billion a month, you're going to add about half a trillion dollars to the economy of new stimulus, which will be paying us off in 12 to 24 months later. So 
even if we stopped all stimulus right now, we have a highly stimulated system from the quantitative easing that's been put through from the um, actual fiscal stimulus that's put through, not just here, but around the world. And I think that's going to continue to support the markets, but it's going to create some challenges. And I think the bigger challenges are going to be how we deal with the health issues, how we deal with the social issues and how we deal with the political ones. But for investing, I think you want to stay in the themes that have, that have multi-year legs on them and avoid the trying to time this market because I think it's going to be too hard for people to do. So, Mark, I'll stop there and open it up to questions, comments. You're anxious to get to John. No, actually, actually, Mark, can I ask Stephen a question? So uh, I got to know Stephen at Mark, your event, and uh, Stephen is world class. I mean, just the – and his firm – has had uh, spectacular success over the decades in rising above and just seeing the big moving pieces and not getting caught up into the emotion of the of the market. And so, uh, Stephen, I'm not saying this just to flatter you. I'm saying it because I believe it. And so uh, I learned a lot just sitting and listening to Stephen uh, in his very humble way uh, talk about the future of the markets. And so, uh, Stephen, my question for you, my friend, is this just a, even a bigger, higher black swan risk in 2022 compared to a normal year? There are a lot of unusual events taking place uh, in the world, hmm. uh, socially, politically, scientifically, and whatever. Just, you know, 2022, kind of the same. We always have black swan risk. We can never anticipate exactly what it is. What is do you that think? what makes a black swan? Yes, <laughs> is the... Yeah. Is the answer? Um, yeah, I, I think I think we're in a an environment that is highly fragile, and that's going to create the volatility. And I don't think leadership is doing much to ease that. Um, not only here, but around the world. I mean, you just look what's going on from a geopolitical perspective. You have three major conflict potentials staring us in the face with. Uh, the Ukraine and Russia with what's going on in, in China and India, China and, uh, Taiwan. You put China as one major geopolitical one. And then you have the comments out of Iran about wiping Israel out this week as a reminder that tensions are still high there. So, but that's known. So is that a black swan? Uh, not, not technically. So I think it's going to be. I think the things that you want to focus on are, are just trying to find in, you know, enduring investment themes and, you know, whether it's impact or whether it's cannabis or whether it's, you know, the blockchain or um, 3D printing or the whole digitalization. I think those are the things that you can invest in with higher confidence if you and can look out multiple years. I think that's the way you want to play this environment. Um I've always been of the you can't steal second with one foot on first. So if I'm worrying about the black swan stuff, I can't make money for our clients if we're not taking some risk. Um, so I think that's the way we we look at it. Um, but it could come from any one of those areas, John. It's whether it's geopolitical or social or, um, you know, or uh, just another economic issue. I, I do worry about the I worry about what's going on in the emerging markets right now. And I don't think that people fully understand the failed state possibilities in a lot of emerging countries, whether it's in Africa, 
Um, you know, the, there's we've been sitting on a tinderbox for 10 years that, since the Arab Spring of trying to figure out how you can, you know, govern that area, bring it back to a, a much more positive way. So and there's, there's plenty of problems, but I, I do think what we're seeing, we've thrown so much money at it that I think the wild card is that people are going to find that even when we taper, we could actually see a lot more stimulus in the system because we've thrown so much at it. And I'll just give you one one number. And the U.S. has put over 50 percent of our GDP in stimulus since this crisis started in 2020. So that's that hasn't all worked through yet. So we have another two years of stimulus already booked into the system, or at least 12 to 18 months of it. I think that's going to be a big the big issue of uh, carry through some of the problems that we have. Um, but a, a bad, bad actor, whether it's Russia or China, um, I think that could be a real problem. I do think the other one is an energy crisis. Um, I think that's one that's staring us in the face if we don't manage the transition well. So a long answer to a short question. So John, so John Denniston asked uh, some that just joined, uh, what black swans in 2022 does Stephen Burke see? So <clears throat> that segues to last year, we're going to continue the tradition of asking everyone to um, really reflect on um, 2021 now, predict 22, your goals, particularly your philanthropic impact goals, um, your asks, how we can help you, and then one word. So we'll you'll see it'll probably end up being uh, 361firm.com2022, not surprisingly. You could do it by survey, as we did last year, or um, trying to see if I can pick, pick somebody, you pick on somebody like Eddie. We had everybody's videos here. So this, this was Eddie Bonder part. Oh, not available anymore. Well, you can see um, in our playlist, just as we have a playlist for, um, here it is, for the last uh, November uh, conference, we had one for, uh, we have about 65, I think, videos. My so, day job now is as be great to see Esther back again. But let me just, uh, I'm going to kick off the transition here. I just want to reflect on what we did two weeks ago and what we're going to do coming out of it. So this was the, uh, the, the, the playlist, and this, these are the highlights. So we look at ourselves as a VC in philanthropy. So we take risk. We take early stage. On the pyramid. Up in that beat. The 2% solution is even crazier, uh, including the fact that it's not very well known. We're going to talk about a lot of these issues today. Discussion, teaching. I host a series of retreats four years ago, focused on the concept of an open the market for, for credit in tech is really underdeveloped in, in, in Europe. It's the size of the market, podcasting market, is about a billion dollars. Many products are released uh, too early and um, for acid, which is a very low pH, and a safer alkaline or base. With
soft skills, connect them with mentors in, the, in, uh, in HR that can help with their resumes. They have one purpose, to get them out of government and charity and institutional care. So it could be um, brick kiln operators on the, in northern India. It could be um, artisanal mining um, with children. It has been shown to affect um, cognitive issues, um, anxiety. Depression. Is that we can do to try to retain some of that 1.4 trillion dollars? You know, it said that. I see the younger family members, some next gens. There are a few that are in control, and they're place, right? So again, going back to the education model, it really comes full circle. It's all about economic drive and how can we better that. So focus on how do we invest? We think about the world as a capitalist. What could be a massive issue with tires or reusing of tires? Um, There's, there are many underserved areas in terms of health and healthcare. Appreciate everyone uh, leaning in and thank you. All right, so there it is. Well, let <clears throat> Zach Nasser with us. The funny thing, this is sort of his brainchild. Um, so I'll. I'll Take the reins. As we as we look back on last on our gathering, um, just want to go around the houses and get some takeaways. So, um, just going to call in some people. Oh, there's Zach. Zach, you want to you want to take over? Uh, hi, Mark. Uh, yeah, is having connection issues. Uh, they managed to connect. I'm traveling. Um, where where did we reach? Did anyone speak about? Not not yet. I just played the high. I bought some time for you. I played the highlights. Uh okay. Um, I guess I was just gonna share what we talked about about uh, you know everyone suggesting uh, nonprofits and organizations, and then in the philanthropies connecting, we have like you know we feature each one of them. We like sort of meet them for the first time uh, to see what they're about, what they've done, to see if we. Uh, showcase them in a bigger event. Um, so, so because we saw, and I saw there's a lot of, you know, involvement for the last conference. Everyone suggested people that could speak or they wanted to speak on a topic. So the, the same way. Do it for, you know, a nonprofit. I'm just going to share that as like something we could do. Um, but uh and they think half were able to speak at the beginning, half were jumping on at eleven thirty. We could just uh start with who's here. I think just Preet is online, yeah. Um yeah. we could so we wanted to do like one or two minutes on each like topic area. You speak about, you know, next steps from uh what happened uh, at the conference or things you wanna plan for next year as well, like in terms of events, like what to cover in them. Um, we could start with just brief. Okay, go for it. Thank you, Zach. Hi, Mark. Hi, everybody. Um, so uh, first of all, uh, the event that you had a couple of weeks ago, I think it was phenomenal. I've attended a lot of these events in my life, obviously, but it was just the right mixture of informality and formality but it made it extremely informative and very, very useful. In fact, it was also extremely useful for people on Zoom. As you know, we had our two, uh, the two panelists were on Zoom, 
and they had signed up way before the event and they they both were the feedback was extremely positive so thank you for organizing right. that <clears throat> from our perspective and fortunately from my perspective i got involved with 361 i think the first time i met your group was in chicago so for from my my angle is a very very new relationship even though i feel like i've known you all for a very very long time in a very good way and uh from windows 5 perspective since i've got her involved we have a much different strategy from when the firm was founded where it was at the time to create more awareness where now we are looking to make much more of a measurable difference so we have very as an organization we have some very big tasks at hand in the coming year so not only are we bringing new people on the team new board members but also uh creating relationships and liaisons with organizations like yours is very important to for us for a number of reasons not only obviously awareness they can never be enough awareness as much as everyone knows but also in terms of for any for any uh foundation like ours the one thing they're always looking for is fundraising and the uh and I'm a big believer it's not something you do on your own more than merrier and uh, we're actually about to announce a partnership with uh one fairly large global organization which is i mean we are a dot in front of them they were actually one of the panelists on the british asian trust so we're going to run some events with them in the coming year here in the us and most probably in england and maybe some other maybe monaco uh wherever there's a lot of wealth to raise money but joint events with them because they bring a lot of clout and that's why this relationship with 361 farm is very important to us because a lot of people that you bring on here are from all different walks in life and just at your event we met so many people who want to speak with us who who do something totally different nothing related to human trafficking or philanthropy but want to get involved with us and are talking of how can we help and i think that's very very important because uh as much as i always say that it's a non-profit and we're going to run it like a business that i mean in terms of management but the beautiful thing is that we're not competing with others other organizations that are in the uh that are fighting human trafficking or human rights or fighting for human rights because our goals are the same so i'm all about as much as i want to run it like a business and treat it like a business in terms of how we structured and how we moving forward with very specific goals we do want to work very openly with more and more organizations in this space and then any affiliated and associated organizations like yours and it's absolutely fantastic and i'm so grateful for the amount of time you allocate each time on phone calls and events for a cause like this because I know there are millions of causes to look go after and you know look at which are equally important but I I'm personally very appreciative that you do that. So, awesome. Thank you just for um I think uh in the uh, uh he was going to switch to John Coplin because I think he's in oh, an yes. airport so maybe we have him just for a few minutes. No uh John can you hear us? He's on mute. with the phone music's a little loud but John's on here um what is John Canieras John Coppolino you said it with a nice italian accent there <laughs> okay we could uh, switch to Al maybe uh, Al Pacella 
Great. Thanks, Zach. Uh, hi, everyone. Um, I'm Al Puhala. I really appreciated Mark. <laughs> can, uh, can you hear me? Yep. Yep. You're good. Oh, great. Um, I really appreciated the, the chance to speak at the, at the conference. Uh, Mark and I relived our, our days growing up in Ohio when we went to Newark and Heath, Ohio, talking about opportunity zones. Uh, now about two or three years ago, Mark. So a lot has happened. Um, what I want to really convey at the event, and, and I'll just reiterate today, are three points. Uh, number one, opportunity zones are ready for mainstream investors. Uh, the law was passed four years ago. Things are finalized. Uh, the Biden administration likes the program and is supporting it. And it is very clear through 544 pages of tax regulations how you comply, um, whether you do it in real estate or any other sector outside of real estate, data centers, solar, wind, operating companies, uh, early stage venture companies. They all work now. And it's very, very clear guidance from the IRS. So even though it was a fitful uh, path to get here, uh, after four years, it's now a program that sits alongside municipal finance uh, for debt and philanthropy, you know, 501c3s. This is now the equity leg in the tripod of how we subsidize uh, investments and, and capital flows. Then, And it's national and it, it applies to 35 million people. So very big program. I think gonna, you're going to see huge tailwinds over the next few years. Second point I'd like to make, it's ESG. It's ESG because it's the S in ESG. It's the social piece. Most of ESG, you know, for a good reason, has been E. Uh, the solar, the wind, the geothermal, the storage in order to deal with the climate crisis. This now gives people a chance to do programmatic and scalable S. And the reason it's ESG, it's in the private markets, it's measurable, and the two best data sources in the world drive it, which is census data, you know, mandated in the U.S. Constitution over 200 years ago. Uh, Article 1, Section 2, every 10 years there's a census. And the data that flows to the census uh, uh, tracks is very, very uh, clear, measurable, holistic, and drives opportunity zones. Since an opportunity zone is a census track. Uh, the second data flow is IRS filing data. This is data that basically the IRS collects and, and uh, aggregates on what has happened to incomes, to, uh, uh, to to people's poverty rates, all at kind of an IRS basis uh that types the zone. So you have this feeding a very measurable ESG, and I would argue one of the best measurable ESG approaches available. And then lastly, uh, we at Capstone have partnered with Tocqueville Asset Management, which is a very large uh, asset manager, uh, about $9 billion of AUM. Uh, they and we uh, announced several months ago a an approach to letting any investor have a bespoke way to tap opportunity zones. You can come into an annual vintage fund that Tocqueville would manage and we would be sub-advisor to and, and have exposure across sectors across the country. We have uh, the ability to have uh, an oh, asset. Sorry, sorry Alex. So, yeah. Well, first of all, I want, I want, like, I want to speak, figure out where you got that shirt. So I think we all <laughs> get one. I feel it was a Hawaiian shirt in the old days and I'll, <laughs> and I'll stop, but we're very happy to work with anyone. No, no, I, I appreciate that. Just want to keep going around the houses. Um, Zach, you want to keep going? Thank you, though, Al. It was good to, good to get awesome. the band back together. Uh, I, I was going to go for Don. I think Don is online. And I see Lauren just jumped on. Uh, Don, you want to share your two cents for education? 
Sure. So, uh, so yeah. So, uh, thank you guys, Zach and Mark for organizing the conference. You know, the education sector is, um, you know, a really hot sector now as opposed to being a really, you know, depressed and laggard sector in the past. So, so it's, uh, you know, again, there's just a lot of, uh, great talent and, uh, great ideas and great, um, you know, startups happening in the space now. And, um, it's just accelerating after COVID, you know, everybody is doing, you know, online learning and, you know, the kind of the bland format of Zoom school, you know, there's much better ways to do online learning and, and people are getting exposed to that and really picking up a lot of really great, uh, digital learning type of opportunities. And so, so the sector is fantastic. And, um, and again, you know, I think the, we, we have a, you know, the, the summary of the thing. I don't need to go over the whole thing, but the summary of the, there's a, the, you know, our segment on ed tech is, is in there. And, um, you know, if you want to go over those details, but again, it's a, it's, there's a lot of change, a lot of transformation happening. We're kind of bullish that, you know, we have this industrial age model that is event in, you know, finally it's getting chipped away at and we're starting to put in place a new innovation age model, uh, for, for educating people, which will look very different than what we all grew up with as the schooling model. And so there's a lot of different ways to get people up the confidence curve and up the learning curve. And we're starting to see a lot of just really innovative, uh, excellent ideas that are much more effective than the, the past kind of, you know, drill and kill memorization models. So that's, awesome. that's the quick, quick summary on the education space. Thank you, Donna. I'll share a quick thing actually on that. I, sure. I got exposed to like esports after school programs and stuff you could earn college credit for and even like a esports college degree coming up. So definitely it's changing from what it used to be as far as like the, the options. Uh, Mark, uh, I was going to say, Eric Lindbergh couldn't be on, and I don't see anyone for education for prisoners, but there's a program that he's working with with Augustana College, uh, and uh, so I want to marry some of these things you know, onto the, uh, the prisoner side, and of course it's, it can be vocational education training. Yeah, and there are a lot of interesting prison startups like the American Prison Systems. <laughs> uh, there's an education company that's been around for like a decade that's been growing pretty rapidly in the, in the prisoners thing because obviously that's a huge problem. And uh, there's a lot of tech, you know, digital tech solutions to that problem of, of yep. getting training uh, prisoners and stuff. So that's an interesting segment of the market. Okay. Um, awesome. Um, I think, do we want to do John Dennison's uh, speech so that we... Lauren's here, so we want to... Lauren? Okay. Now, I I thought we wanted to stick to the, you know, 40 to 45 schedule. We do, but we we, we don't want to skip Lauren. Uh, No, we'll come back. Okay, Lauren, go for it. I like the new background. Uh, Happy uh, Giving Tuesday, everyone. Uh, Try to make it quick. The uh, hybrid... um, you know, the, the hybrid approach, you know, really worked. We had uh, Bruce Montgomery, uh, Yvette Moyle, and me on the Zoom. Uh, Cedric Watkins and Sam Cashy were there in New York. Uh, great panel, had a, you know, great uh, breakout afterwards. Met some <coughs> folks here in Chicago, here in Chicago over the Zoom, and, you know, a few people in New York. Uh, I guess, one of the things that I guess was imperative that we mentioned on a number of occasions is we want we want to have something happening with all this. Here, go back one slide. Uh, um, uh, motivated, dedicated people. 
the uh that the um the graphic with um Deals? the system yeah with the with yeah with oh, the system that, in any true. case that's what we are that's what we are focused on is that there's something specific and tan that one right there that yeah. that tangible that's coming out of this so before the end of the year, the Chicago South crew, you know, the people on the panel and some of the others we have on the team, I know we're going to have at least one session where we get together two objectives. One, uh, to go through our networks to one, look at, to see if there are ready, you know, investment ready things that we can put into the onboard into the 361 uh, system. You know, including, you know, some of the funds that, you know, are, um, you know, people who are part of the network are working with. And the second one would be, you know, we talked about on the panel this idea of accelerating and amplifying what's already going on in Chicago uh, with the intention of, you know, through this 361 process, then being able to leverage what's going on in Chicago with uh, capital and resources and different things that we can leverage through the 361 network. So, you know, we want to start mapping out what's going on here in Chicago, as I say, with this idea of uh, leveraging and with the attention in the air, we're going to hit the ground running uh, with this starting next year. Uh, of course, there's going to be the uh, 361 Midwest tour in June. So, you know, our target is basically we're going to come earlier. Lauren, then. Lauren we're going to come. We, I just spoke with Denton's, the law firm. Mm-hmm. We're gonna, they want to, uh, uh, they want to do something in, in late April, early May. And they want, they oh, that's have a big, great, that's a great day. Because what we want to do is to have something you could say tangible to show and to announce yeah. in terms of, you know, what we so, get out of the 361 network. So that'd be great. They're in the Sears Tower that can handle 200 people. And, but to your point with this uh, graphic, if you go to onboard right here, ONB, if you just put on your whatever, I'm just looking at what we have. If you just see, like, we have some Chicago event, like, we had like 50 deals came through last month. <clears throat> and this just helps me curate. I can't share it unless it's fully onboarded but I can share it for vetting and I can get things moving. So you got to encourage all those funds and deals. So that's what, about. yeah, that's, that's what, as I say, that's what's going to be our objective yeah. so that we can okay. start, like I say, hit the ground running next year as much of this stuff okay. as we can start getting onboarded. Okay. And like I say, mapping out so that we can keep pulling, pulling stuff in yep. with the intention, like, you know, we had spoke about that our first stage will be, you know, to try to get, as much going through the funds as possible. And, you know, there's a lot of folks here, you know, so, interested. Well, well, you know, I just want to get a little flavor and, and everybody, just, um, I, I see you, John, you're at the airport, John Coppolino, just re- real quick, if you could, because we, we have to, we're, we're transitioning. How you doing? I'm doing great. Sorry about that. I was in transit. I'm now at the hotel at least. Okay. So, so Mark, quickly, uh, yeah, quick, quickly. We want to do great is, to be at the conference and actually. Good. Sorry. Good. Yeah, it was it was great to be at the conference and and engage post uh, lockdown with people on a personal basis. And but the energy in the room was contagious, and it was a great group of people. 
for Tigris and looking at this coming year, we're really excited about the impact we can make. I know we talked about agriculture and with the launch of our products that are going to increase crop yield and help preserve food. We think we can make an impact globally, uh, both in, in crops and in the preservation of food and in production of food. And then, of course, we're very focused on the biotech side where um, we're now talking to folks in South Africa to see if we can set up clinical trials to try and get our product tested against the new variant, which obviously could have great impact, not just in South Africa, but as we're doing clinicals in the Dominican and other places, um, you know, we may have a very simple solution to a very complex problem. Well, you should talk to uh, Richard Lackey, and of course, to John Denniston. Um, and to me, and to me for sure. We could trial, we could probably trial what you want to trial on our farms. Yeah. How many acres yeah. do you, do you farm now, Susan, in Africa? Yeah, we, we have two large farms. One's in Zambia, in the south of Zambia, one's in the south of Mozambique. That would be, that would yeah. be wonderful. In fact, reach out to me after the, this call and uh, we can, we can start. I'll, I'll introduce you to the CEO of our ag tech company and we can set that up. We've been dying to get some. Uh, agriculture opportunities developed in Africa because we think we can really impact the food supply in a, in a and, and maybe in a Richard, dramatic you, way. Richard has this TV show. Maybe I want you to listen, Richard, to John Denniston, what he's doing, even though it's not in Africa. It touches some of your other footprint. Let, let me transition, if I if I could, not just because Michigan and Ohio State, but um, it, John Denniston, can you sort of pick up where you left off? Uh, in a way, I love this uh, the way he he, uh, he economy. He started off with the this. peace for without naming it. Little history, less some history lessons of Adam Smith, Kennedy, uh, Jane Goodall, Milton Friedman, and I thought I was back at school for a while. Um, but just you know, pick, maybe your takeaways is what you're. You know, you don't have to like pick up where you left off exactly, but you know, your reflections and, and then you'll, you see a lot of people here on ag. You know, if you don't know, Richard Lackey, he runs a couple things, including he has a, he believes in, in sort of like the, the, the TV show that helps you learn how to, you know, fix up and flip a house. Just, you know, how do you, how do you farm your land in, in Africa? But you've got some technologies. John Capolino has some technologies that could be useful for small and large scale. Um, your, your, your thoughts as you, you uh, take it from here. Yeah. So uh, first thoughts just on the, on the conference and then some thoughts on shared X and, and what we do. I thought the conference, and I, I told actually the audience there, there's uh, you have a real skill mark in how to combine uh the content with the collaboration. It's, it's a very fluid dynamic in a positive way at the conference. And so I, uh, I just, uh, honestly think you did an exceptional job and just the, uh, both the structure and the format that was designed for both. And then just the, the people were fantastic. And, uh, so there were some excellent conversations, uh, but you designed it that way. So I would, uh, I give your, the, the whole experience, just a very, very high score. Um, I can, I can, uh, I can get into shared X now. Just do kind of a brief summary, if that would be helpful. Sure. sure. Okay. So, uh, shared X, we're an agriculture impact company. Actually, the talk of Zambia in the pandemic, we helped a, a group of smallholder coffee farmers buy remote 
control because nobody could travel in the pandemic. And in the first harvest, we doubled their yield through sustainable regenerative agronomic methods. So we're very happy about that. Their yields will go up because we have a a system that can do more, especially as the pandemic uh, lifts or it gets easier over time. So uh, Sharedex has ranked the number 76 global impact company this year by Real Leaders, which releases an annual list of the top impact companies. And we're considered a top global impact company because our business is growing rapidly, and at the same time, we have delivered uncommonly powerful climate and poverty solutions. We've increased soil carbon concentration three and a half fold, and we have increased small to farmer incomes up to fivefold. And we've achieved this impact, poverty and climate, through our novel impact farming system that improves farm health soil carbon concentration, and crucial to scaling, also improved farmer incomes. There are three elements in our impact farming system. Regenerative agriculture, biotechnology for the health of the soil. Number two, advantage market access. And number three, transformational smolder engagement. We use uh, just the, as a frame of reference and the climate potential of the soil, we use the term the 2% solution, which goes like this. If the world can increase soil carbon concentration by two percentage points from 1% to 3%, that would offset all the world's annual carbon emissions. It's just, it's, it's an extraordinary potential unrealized largely because there's very little government research funding in agriculture biotech as composed uh, compared to pharmaceutical biotech, cures to cancer, which are great, or the computer revolution. DARPA did a very good job with that. So at SharedX, we have biotechnologies, biostimulants, bionutrients, biofortifications, biofungicides, We won a research grant from the U.S. National Science Foundation for one of our many technologies, and we're accelerating that division of our company. For poverty, the shorthand that we use is the paradox of the 70s. Check this out. Smaller farmers produce about 70% of the world's food, and yet they constitute 70% of the world's poor. Think about that. That's not fair. And so we're taking a direct attack on that, uh, increasing smallholder incomes through a holistic combination of higher yields and higher prices. Uh, Yields are typically ignored in the work done to help smallholder farmers because it requires a scientific and agronomic capability. That's our strong suit, one of them, at SharedX. Uh, Today, we've raised four rounds of funding, each of them oversubscribed from investors on four continents and Every category in the capital markets, more or less. Uh, we've now had a first closing on our Series E financing, which we think will be our last, uh, the purpose of which will be to accelerate our business and impact and, uh, and become profitable. I got a Stanford class, I was a guest lecturer earlier this year. Just a couple more things, Mark, and I'll stop. Sure, sure. Uh, and so I talked about the 2% solution, and I taught about the paradox of the 70s, and I posed two edgy questions, edgy, 
at the end of the class session just to get the energy going and get provocative questions and, and so forth. Here's the first edgy question focused on poverty. How can we alleviate poverty if we don't include 70% of the poor in the impact economy? Smallholder farmers are 70% of the world's poor. Well, we can't alleviate poverty unless we include them. The second edgy question relates to climate. How can we achieve the 2% solution, the power of the soil, to sequester large volumes of CO2 out of the atmosphere? How can we achieve that if we don't empower the farmers who grow 70% of our food to go regenerative? Well, we can't. And if you take a look at the UN SDGs, there are 17 of them, they're dominated by poverty in the environment, and yet there are relatively few purpose-built companies focused on climate solutions in the soil and poverty of smaller farmers. I'm not diminishing those that are out there. I'm just saying as a fraction of the impact or even agriculture startups, it's a, rel- it's a lower number than it should be. So very last thing I'll say, uh, as Mark said, I did, uh, I began the speech that I gave at the 361 fabulous event with a photograph of John F. Kennedy as a candidate giving a speech on the steps of the Michigan Union in Ann Arbor, Michigan, University of Michigan. And, uh, I got, a, I got a recording of his speech. Kennedy finishes with this. The University of Michigan doesn't exist, and I quote Kennedy, merely to help its graduates have an economic advantage in the life struggle. There is certainly a greater purpose, and I'm sure you recognize it. Was he right? Does your education have a greater purpose? And do you recognize it? Here's the thing. We get to decide. And in so doing, we will determine the future course of the impact economy. So I finished on that, and I'm going to finish on that right here, Mark. Thank you for giving me the time. All right. I had to show this. I didn't need, not the headline, but the the picture. Um, No, it was... uh, it was great to have you join us uh and set you, you sort of set the tone um because you 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 know this impact areas from you from the early 2000s um and that you didn't get a chance to say that to share that so Kleiner Perkins in and around 2000 2003 era um was a pioneer and you were a pioneer among pioneers can you just give a little insight into what was happening then yeah what was happening then, I mean, the job of a venture capital firm is to identify uh, major shifts, macro trends, and trying to identify them before the wave hits the shore to get, to get in front. And we saw uh, data and got out into the world and identified just the early, early signs of a shift in favor of sustainability and saw the potential of companies eventually having a competitive advantage by expressing that authentically. That's exactly what's happened now. 
And uh, I, at my speech, I talked about the triple upshift where consumer, investor, and worker markets are forcing companies to at least declare ESG. So that's we saw just the early, early signs of that and uh, began to invest and, uh, and built, built it up over the years. It was a retreat. How did it ha- exactly happen? Yeah, no, it was, uh, yeah, the, uh, so a lot of, uh, what venture capital firms is, is try to set aside time to connect with people from a variety of walks in life just to try to identify the trends. Because if we just sit in our office and talk amongst ourselves, we're not getting, you know, new information the way that, that we could. So it was really that process that had us happen upon people who uh, who saw the potential future for sustainability. It wasn't called impact then. And uh, after a discussion, we decided to investigate. And after the investigation, decided to begin to invest because we believe this was a high potential future trend in the economy. That's great. Well, I think we can we could rift on that. I, I love hearing that's the history of all how it evolved. Um, because there's what the United Nations did, and then there's what the private sector has evolved, and you're ahead of the you're definitely ahead of the curve. Yeah, um, Prince. Uh, last at uh, COP26, Prince William gave gave a speech. Most of the speeches were focused on what the governments need to do to avert a climate disaster. Prince William gave the following speech. The private sector is the only path to avert uh, a climate disaster. Uh, first, because globally there's this weird phenomenon where government systems are in gridlock for whatever cultural reasons that that is. And so people have been trying for decades to have the government come and do it. And, you know, there's been movement, but not nearly as much as we need. And a second observation is there's way more capital in the private sector than in the public sector. A factor two or factor three, and plus the ability of entrepreneurs to make decisions today and implement tomorrow morning and not wait for a government body to come to consensus. Which, you know, so I was, I was really struck by that and from Prince William. Any questions, comments for John? I've sent you a, a- an email, John. Look forward to connecting. We missed each other last time. Great. Richard, look, thank you and look forward to it. Yeah. One thing that John was mentioning is this real leaders, um, programs. Anyone, if, those within, in the impact scene, you may want to put this on your radar. You can see the top, top companies year by year. Third, uh, yeah, the uh, just a little bit on real leaders. It's a tremendous organization. Uh, the the people there, they have uh, some very uh, helpful collaborators. So Bain Capital, KPMG, YPO, uh, the research they do to come up with their top 150 is very data driven, both on the impact on and on the financial. It's the blend of the two. And, uh, so we, we've come to admire real leaders a lot. They're, they're doing a lot more than releasing an annual list of the top global impact companies. They're, they're really helping, uh, create a, a platform for impact companies to connect and succeed. Yeah. 
Well, the other thing, I, I, speaking of awards, we have our own awards program on, on December 15th. So I'll share this. I'm looking for everyone to be, uh, help me. We'll finalize the list of awards. We're looking for, you know, best deals. We'll talk about best speakers. As I said, we've got a couple, you're one of them. Um, most fun event. Um, and then best deals by, by industry. And so we're going to populate this and do a, and get this out definitely by the end of the week. So if anyone has suggestions on awards as well as nominees, you'll, uh, you'll all be receiving this shortly. In fact, I'll throw it in the chat now. Any other comments, questions? Yeah, definitely. Like, I feel like Richard, Susan, and John should be connecting, um, and Zach for that. Um, and Leslie, you also did mental health. I don't know if you wanted to comment. You look like you're on. <laughs> I'm on the train. Great to see you all. Thank you for putting the events together. It was a highlight. In terms of thinking forward, um, investigating our next um, follow-up so we can continue to chip away at the massive, you know, important foundation of mental health and well-being for the future. So kind of looking into 2022, looking forward to creating some curated high-level educational experiences. So thanks. Awesome. We'll look forward to it. So yeah, the uh, I, I I also found myself celebrating John. So I was um, we're going to have a Michigan event on December thirtieth in either Texas or Miami for reasons that you probably can imagine. So Arlington, Texas, or Miami, December thirty. Um, I have to be home for New Year's Eve. I'm not sure I can stay for the game. Obviously, we have, a, we have to get through Indianapolis first, but we'll uh, have a good feeling about that. Hey, Mark. I was, uh, you're not going to believe this, but you saw the students storm the field after the game on Saturday. Yep. Did you, did you see me storming? I did not see you storming. Do you have a, do you have a selfie video of you storming? I do. You can, you can share it if you'd like. I might get arrested. <laughs> it was, it did, was he just, hands, did he shake hands with Day, or is it, there was just too many people in the way, right? I don't know, because I, I was, uh, I was, uh, I, I don't know. It was just bad. I, I, I don't, I don't know. It was so fun, and there was no badness or fighting or you know violence or everything. People were just uh, so over the moon, you know. It was, it right, was just right. really. Really great. I, I gave some thought to whether I should single-handedly pull down one of the goalposts. Do you, do you think I should have done that, Mark? You know, you, no one would have faulted you in the, uh, in, in, in the heightened emotion. I remember what happened in Ann Arbor in 89 when, when they won the NCAA basketball championship. Um, I think they brought down whole street lamps and all the rest, but it sounded like it was tame, but it, it was just, it was probably this spontaneous happiness 
Sorry for those who don't care about football or Michigan. That was a, it was a, it was a, a classic. And yeah, it was it was it'll, it'll and the question is where do we go from here? Well, we uh, we keep going to games this year, Mark. That's where we go. Right. That's the good news. Right. So, Mark, was it so exciting? Was it an unexpected win? I'm sorry, I'm I'm a novice on uh, American well, football. That's not we've been we've been taught whether we go to second overtimes that we just not taught been conditioned that this um, just doesn't happen for us. Like. Anyway, and clearly it can happen. So um, keep the faith. That's right. Now we have, you know, Alabama and Georgia and all these other schools. But uh, don't lose, don't lose to Iowa. I know <laughs> we have a lot of mud, but Harpo would still say it's a good. It was a good season. Um, and I'm curious what happened after the game. Like, how was Ann Arbor done? Oh, my gosh. Whew, Zach, that is such a good question. I'll just say this. Uh, a friend of mine and I drove from near the stadium to a friend's house maybe two miles away, maybe. And it took us two hours to get there. And we we, we were happy with it because just the – Mark, I'm going to change your word from happiness to joy, if, right. if you'll allow me. It was just – and that was just – palpable they like in the streets all the street lamps were on as far as i could tell mark and uh people were just having a great time so it was uh one great became a festival yeah, yeah pretty 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 much pretty much i don't know if i think of college football though these days it's it's how would you say it? I'm more, I'm as much drawn to just the obscene amount of money that's involved in it now. Did you see the Notre Dame coach going to, I guess, I think USC for a hundred million dollars? How many years? Ten year, ten years, ten year contract. I saw the, I saw the Michigan State contract was 95. So, uh, and I think Harbaugh just re-upped, right? Um, so, you have to adjust for inflation. They, they, uh, I, I can't remember which company it was, but uh, their first signing for you could say a you know college you know a college athlete. I can't remember, I, I just saw it in the news, but anyway, it was for a female, for a, uh, uh, yeah, a woman basketball player, you know, as their first signing. So I think that was a good. Some major company, I forgot. It was it was Gatorade signed the sophomore right. from Connecticut from Connecticut. Right. Yeah, with the NIL, which is pretty interesting. That that's for another day's discussion. That'd be an interesting conversation. Let's invite them. Yeah, my my son is going to play college basketball next year, so we've kind of been on the front end of this NIL and the recruiting and talking to a lot of college coaches. It is an interesting there's some interesting insight to what's going on. John, it sounds like you're in a club. No, I'm not. actually I'm actually in Miami getting ready to have lunch and the, it's they have music playing obviously. But if anybody wants to dance, feel free to. <laughs> I think you gotta turn your video on, John. Oh. 
moment. Are we, are we serious? He's in, in he's in Miami. <laughs> we are serious. Okay. Get rid of that background. That 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 like we're in we're at dusk at Denver background. You gotta like show the real background. Oh boy. There we go. Where where is that? This is uh the Moxie Hotel where I'm staying for a couple of days. I got a lot of meetings down here. A lot of family offices down here just for the next few days. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll be we'll be down there in January. But uh, well actually, yeah, right now is the time with our basil. Yep. So um, a bunch of meetings, a lot of good people. Looking forward to a couple of days and you should certainly ha- you certainly should- the time Certainly, the timing of Miami for a conference in December is uh, pretty good. I, I am meeting with Simon, by the way, uh, this afternoon. Yeah, there was a um, someone who had written. Yes, here it is. Um, I'll show those who are down there. There's a um, Jeremy Baum. You can meet at Simon's cousin uh, Peter uh, Bergen from BG Partners is down there. Um, yeah, Art Basil. That was that was big. I was I lived in Jonah Blake for yeah. a while. So, Jonah yeah. Blake is there. Um, Alec Andronikov is there, and yeah, Simon, Rob Colorina. So yeah, we're definitely going to see Alec. If you could forward me the other people over there, I'd love to reach out to them. They're all all here on this thread. I'll throw the post. All right, cool. And then yeah, we'll 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 be in touch. So is Art Basel, is that another forum where a lot of folks in the 361 network spend it's, time or end up? It's, it's a, I'm not going to call it a boondoggle, but there are, there are a lot of events down there over the next four or five days. And, uh. Yeah, I, I have some, I have some investors down here too that I'm going to be meeting with. Some of our shareholders. Sounds good. Well, you look like you're having fun. Just get to work hard and have fun. Um, all right. Well, I was, my point is I was, I was a little out of it, uh, not exactly totally out of it, but I, I was experiencing that joy that John was talking about. <clears throat> so I didn't, I didn't get some of the word, word out on this uh, debrief, but what, what I'm really hoping is this will catalyze and in, in the spring we're, we're talking to some law firms about where to do it in New York in um in late March so you'll they'll be at the spring summit we'll also have <clears throat> series of deep dive sounds like we should do ag we should do um well, all these mental health you know Leslie to your, to your to your point and then um I'll follow up with all the the, the bankers we should definitely uh we'll follow up with you John actually you, John Capolino, and and Lauren, get those deals coming in. That's that's probably the best way to, you know, have people um, just sh- show that that helps us just add awareness. And then we're going to do something with Denton's in in late April, as I said. <clears throat> and Zach, um, maybe you want to set it out an agenda for your Thursday calls for the Impact Group and Impact Slash Philanthropy. And um, if anyone has any uh, suggestions on any of the above, let, let me know. I will, uh, I will, and I hope to see you, many of you, in uh, on December fifteenth um, 
and also these 2022 predictions. I'm going to be asking you guys to do those too. Um, black swans or white swans, whatever they may be. And, uh, and, and Richard Lackey, does your program is, it's only in Africa. Like you, can you promote what's happening in Peru? Um, we, we don't at present, but we're, um, we're going to be making exploratory trip with to, uh, Nigeria and Ghana in January. And, uh, we're expanding. We have some programming in Zambia, but we'll be expanding programming into Zambia. And, uh, we have two new shows that have just been filmed in, uh, Uganda. And, uh, if Ethiopia can calm down a little bit, we'll be in Ethiopia next year, uh, and in Indonesia at the end of next year, hopefully. So we're slowly expanding into those areas. We also have several folks that we're working on either syndicating or walking into India. And then my, I spent many years in Latin America, so I would love to get to Latin America. And I have friends and, and business in Peru, so I would love to get to that area as well. Um, we're looking for the right partnership. We're trying to finish this, this uh, Series A financing right now to allow us to expand um, more readily. But uh, we've outperformed two years in a row, so we, we've actually had a, a 6x increase in valuation. And so that's caused us to have to redo paperwork. But once we get that done, then we're going to be doing a larger funding to to do a global, a more global launch. But uh, I, I can certainly share it with our outlets um, because we're members of a lot of global efforts. And we can certainly get out, share information if it's pertinent to those regions. That helps. Maybe maybe th- throw throw into the chat your uh, that the, at least the media side, if not if not the other bits. <clears throat> um, people can do can do research on MediaI, and uh, I'll put in my email if folks want to reach out. Okay. Well, let's. Uh, I took I took notes on some of this, so I w- I wanted to get get more things on the calendar. So just be be mindful. We'll be reaching out to try to get your input for that, and. Um, don't be strangers. Be in touch. Great job, Mark. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Take care. Bye now. Thank you, Thank you guys. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thanks. Bye-bye.